Okay, Matt, so uh, this episode uh, five um, working title, I used to swim over there. Yes. It's a left field reference, lyrical, musical lyrical reference. Um, one of, from one of our most, uh, a song that we quote very often uh, for no apparent reason. Um, and the theme of the episode is islands. Yes, it is. We've made it a kind of, uh, as the light goes on, it goes out on us. We're now standing in uh, darkness, but I'll add to the, there's a physical image for you, uh, Matt and I, looking over uh, the veil um, enveloped in darkness. Uh, but <laughs> the, the theme of this episode was islands and water. Uh, I guess we kind of used an opportunity to talk about the lock itself a wee bit as well. Um, but yeah, there's a lot to talk about because there are many islands on the loch. Um, <laughs> we'll mention some facts about the loch being notable for islands for different reasons. Uh, but I honestly, I'm scared of getting something wrong again, so I'm not going to say anything. Um, but yeah, let's maybe um, begin by talking about um, what the loch is like. Maybe a quick physical overview. Okay, so the most southerly and largest islands. Uh, Inch Martin and to the northeast of that, you've got Cree Inch, Tor Inch, and then there's like uh, Inch Kyloch, and then in front of that there's Inch Lanig, and then to the left, Inch Croon, and then you get into what's known as the Narrows, it's, uh, three islands together, it's Inch Devanach, Inch Moan, and uh, Inch Connachan, quite popular with uh, boats. It's quite impressive going through there. Someone uh, on the boat once said it kind of looks a bit like a very small Amazon. I don't know how, how accurate that is, but... Have you been to the Amazon? I have not, so I cannot confirm this. Well, your uh, guess is as good as mine, but um, I guess... <laughs> yeah, that's... Um, we're looking at a map here of Loch Lomond, uh, looking on the south at the, at the bottom of this map, um, being uh, Inchburden, looking quite large, as it is the largest uh, island on the loch. Um, so just wanted to give you that uh, quick overview um, I encourage you to check out a map of uh, the, the place yourself um, while you're listening, before you listen um, handy visual um, we might as well go ahead now Matt to our usual corrections and apologies um, the first one is on me basically I might not pronounce one word c- correctly in this entire episode that's just a warning um, um, we also um, wanted to clarify a wee point about one of the named names. Yeah, so I'd read it wrong. I said Cedar Inch and it was Cairdic. Yeah, so um, uh, Cairdic, I think, is it's perhaps maybe the smallest island in yeah, the lock, I think. So. And it's notable for another reason that we go into in the, in the episode as well. Um, we also had to do some um, research after the episode uh, on uh, knowyourmeme.com um, because Matt and I mentioned the uh, a popular meme uh, um, well I don't even know is it a meme it's, it's a meme thing uh, artefact which is <laughs> fuck around find out um, is what we were referring to at one point you'll, you'll understand when you get to that part of the episode um, but we were referencing a video by TikToker Roger Scare um, who's an old gentleman who's pointing at a hand drawn graph describing how much one has to fuck around before they find out. I was quite impressed about the knowyourmeme.com. Yeah. You said it's quite extensive. Uh, very dense information, like timelines on the origins of these things. Um, Fair play to whoever yeah. whoever's doing that. 
There you go. Um, do some scouting of that yourself. Um, we also mention uh, we're questioning the pronunciation of one of the islands, Island of Vaux, um, and uh, you know we we got some information about that on uh, locksplus.com. Um, also mentions someday we may, um, talk about a little bit in the episode um, uh, Admiral Sullivan. Um, I think we referenced him as one of the hermits who, yeah. who lived on Island of O. But Admiral Sullivan's an interesting character on, on the lock. I think he was well known at one point in the 1920s. He's a re- he was a retired tea merchant who built an Indian-style bungalow in Inchconican and it's still used by the present owners. He also brought electricity to Island for the first time, which is quite interesting. Um, and, uh, yeah, when, it says here, when his business collapsed, Admiral took himself off to live out his days in a dungeon on Island of O, uh, Island of the Cow. Um, at the north end of the loch and you will learn more about this very interesting uh, island and its history of hermits um, in the episode Um, so uh, the spelling that's common now is a a corruption of the original Gaelic name there's no V in the Gaelic uh, Gaelic, sorry, gosh oh my my goodness, there's no V in the Gaelic alphabet so it was uh, spelt with a BH anyway, just thought we would cover that Um, uh, but yeah um, interesting we tell quickly about that island it's probably referencing the cow because of the McFarlane clan connection yep. which maybe we'll talk a bit more about in our next episode but they had a, a penchant for uh, night raids um, uh, of neighbouring cattle neighbouring areas cattle So that seemed yeah. to be quite standard practice back yeah. in the day from the, yeah. the further research I'm doing yeah yeah a lot of um, a lot of nicking of cattle uh, going on around these areas it was quite contested Um we also talk about in the episode the story of Anne Davison, um, who, who lived on Inch Fad at one point um, um, uh, with her husband. It's a crazy, crazy story. Uh, her life in general, we'll get into the um, the details of it. Um, but I made a little mistake when I talked about an incident in, in, in her life, which um, uh, an accident she was involved in, a boating accident, which, which actually killed her husband. Um, and... Um, it was uh, wrecked on rocks off Portland Bill. Um, I think I said that it was um, somewhere in Ireland, but it was yeah. um, they caught rough weather in Irish Sea. I think is where I got mixed up in the in, in the actually were wrecked on the rocks, um, kind of off the south south um, west coast of England. Um, so yeah, that's just a correction there. The next one's a pronunciation one as well, Matt. Do you, yeah. want, to, uh, do you want to give a bash? Fruach. Fruach. Fruach Eileen. Fruach Eileen. Isle of Heather. That's one of the islands that we talk about in the episode. Um, a lovely little etymological uh, path we go down there later in the episode. Uh, we just didn't quite know how to pronounce it, but we. Um, Fruach is, is how you pronounce that word for Heather in, in Gaelic. Um, also, I appear to be bit blocked up with the cold in this episode so um, it's quite apparent at the end apologies for that um, I think we can get through most of it though, okay um, okay Matt and also probably should have done this in the last episode but uh, we mentioned in the last episode Instavanic and I never actually said why it was called that, it's Monk's Island we don't actually talk about it that much in this episode because we've, and I covered it before but I thought I'd throw that in there just as a 
to not look more stupid than we yeah. usually do. Cool. Aye, no, we're always on. We're always uh, smart and clever. Um, yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, shall we go have 15 to 20 rounds of the real strong Mountain Dew? Uh, yeah, sure, why not? Okay, see you later. Uh, hope you enjoy the episode. So where does this actually lead? Should take us on to, there's a couple of wee bays, or beaches. Uh, should go down on to the sand quarry, so like there's loads of wee kind of small man-made lakes. Man-made lakes? Aye, uh, they're not big. What were they, what were they for? From the quarry, so the water's been used to come or their ground's been dug out and obviously it's just you know, how to use it for fishing use it for fishing so it's not a quarry anymore? no, no, it's all back was that a long time ago? I think so, maybe I'd imagine there's pressure from like ecologists and stuff to not do something like that here possibly might have also just run out of sand run out of sand Shit. Is this one of the man-made lakes? Not yet. <laughs> right. Probably shouldn't have had a something in both hands for this. Shaggy <laughs> nettles as well. Fucking hell. Where does the boat go off to Inchmurren then? See the car park down where we turned left? Yeah. From there. Alright. Oh, There's a wee pier down there. Oh, so they, they go right instead of left there? Uh, we just continued straight on, there was a oh, set right. of gate. Cool, cool. Folk fish here? Yeah. So that's one of the wee lakes I was talking about. Um, Alright. That's huge. Well, I mean, comparison to a pond, I. Yeah, it's definitely bigger than a pond. They cross a river at some point, I'm hoping it's not uh, too much of a river. Aye, only a small river. <sighs> See what you mean? Yeah, it's a bit of wading. Um, wading necessary. Mm. You really would have to double tap X to get across this, wouldn't you? <laughs> Does a triple jumper not clear on their final jump? Do they clear more distance than a long jumper clears? Nah, definitely not. No. You're also, you also kind of lost a lot of your momentum by that point. Right, okay. So a triple jump's really... It's just a measure of how far you can jump three times, it's not Yeah, it's probably with diminishing returns there as well. That's weird, why, why is it not a double jump? Or a, or a quadruple jump? It's...
take three. Take three. I'm trying to remember a time when this day didn't exist. It was like a hundred years ago when they left the flat. We've been at it for decades. Try to go out in a for the islands episode, let's go out in a lovely sojourn across the Inch Tavanic from Luss. Instead of scrambling about looking for a nozzle that didn't exist, couldn't pump up the kayak. Then uh, try to go to a wee bay in front of Inch Murren. Just uh, between Luss and Balloch. Didn't have our river wading boots on, so we couldn't do that. Now we're uh, our tails between our legs for walking a bit north from Ballot Park, trying to get a vantage point from which to view a aquatic vista. Yes. I mean, no doubt there's something that obstructs us from getting there as well. A wild bear or something <laughs> like that. A snake, a serpent of the woods. Fucking snakes. <laughs> a, a, a flaming tropical bison. Ah. <sighs> Aye, I think history will remember us as grafters. We're still being out here hours later trying to record this, this episode. Certainly committed. Yeah. What's, uh, what's, what is this episode of today about anyway? Uh, yeah. So we're going to cover some of the islands that are situated in Loch Lomond. So talking a bit about natural history. There's a few wee bits on human history as well. Um, so yeah, that's kind of what we're going for. Yep, that's the idea. Um, we can start this uh, podcast off. It'd be nice to have read this from a sunny veranda on the pier of Inchtavanic, but here you go. Um, here is a quote from a quotation from Tobias Smollett of uh, Tobias Tobias Smollett, sorry, of uh, Rent and Fame, the, the scholar and writer. He uh, lived from 1721 to 1771, I think, if this, these dates are correct. Tobias said, um, I have seen the Lago di Garda, Albana, De Vico, Balsella and Geneva. Um, and upon my honour, I prefer Loch Lomond to them all. A preference which is certainly owing to the verdant islands that seem to float upon its surface. Lovely, lovely stuff. Yeah, nice from Tobias. Yeah, good effort, mate. Um, that was taken from. Oh, there's another swamp. Only second. Skate across this wooden stick. Um, that was taken from the islands of Loch Lomond by Claire Calder and Lynn Lindsay. What did you call them to begin with? And on my notes, for some reason, I had them down as Lynn and Ramsay. I don't know why. Um, but they're, they're Calder and Lindsay is what we will, how we will credit them. But their book basically traces sort of all the islands on Loch Lomond, recognisable. It's uh, well, at least it's a good book. We'll draw from it quite a bit for this episode. Um, just a wee weekly check to see if this is actually recording. Yes, it is great. I'm good. It's a start. Well, today, Matt, you really need to double check, don't you? Because we've not had the best of luck so far on this Sunday in October. Crisp but sunny. Um, so, 
we can maybe start with an overview, Matt. Yes. Um, what would you first share about the islands on Loch Lomond for people? Um, so, I mean, it's kind of difficult knowing how to de- define them, like what are the requirements for this actually being an island. Yeah. I mean, do you include like Cranogs and other man-made islands? Um, so that's kind of, it's difficult to define them, but in the 8th century, Geoffrey of uh, Monmouth, uh, and in the, oh sorry, it was Ninnius in the 8th century, and then Geoffrey Monmouth in the 12th century claimed that there was 60 islands on the loch. Uh, later in the 16th century, historian Hector Boyce, B O E C E. Yeah, uh, and his History of Scotland wrote that there was uh, 30 islands with kirks, temples, and houses on them. You've read that quite well because that is not how it's literally. Yes, well, I'm not going to do this. 30 illis wheel bigot with kirkus, templis, and houses. But um, the official chart which makes up the part of the guide to navigation published by the Loch Lomond Park Authority has decided that there's 22 islands which are important enough for a name and there's apparently 27 which don't have a name so what, 49 in total interesting Um, what else can we say about the islands how can we characterise, describe them well I don't know, as I was saying it's kind of difficult to to you've put in your notes here the size of islands in the loch goes from the largest which is Inchmurn, which is one and a half miles long and it goes to the smallest which is um, uh, Cedar Inch. Cedar Inch. I wonder if that's the same as ah. There's a, there's an island later on which I was struggling to pronounce. Oh, I thought it was maybe that one. Cier- yeah, pos- aye. Cierdic, maybe. Cierdic, aye, it's Cierdic. just different. Maybe different spellings. Okay, we'll maybe double check that in uh, our corrections yeah. <laughs> this episode. But um, that's only 0.02 miles long. Um, so yeah. it's a big difference. Big difference in the size of Inch Murden. It's yeah, you can definitely look across the water. It's you can see the different sort of um, look at it from from uh, um, from near Lust, for example. Yeah. You can see there's different sorts, like wee buildings on it and stuff like that. It looks like it does look like its own place, you know, where people live and they do. And we'll get onto all that kind of history in a second. Um, and a little bit on the kind of the the lock itself um, around that. So slightly to the north of Tarbet Isle, which is just off Tarbet on the west side of the lock. Um, we have the deepest part of Loch Lomond, um, which is 623 feet deep, which is very deep. That's yeah. deeper than the North Sea. So, um, I mean, I think we might have mentioned this before, but, you know, you, you do need to be careful in the loch, and that's one of the reasons. But We were actually just walking along that trail um, near the sort of jetty where you go to Inchmurren. And what were you saying about the sort of the bays along there? They're very nice, but there's yeah. So it's kind of the the depth drops very quickly. So you can be standing at one point, and then a couple of meters further on, you're totally submerged. So bear that in mind if you think about going swimming in the loch. Yeah, really be careful where you go in. I mean, there's some popular spots to go for a swim at Lust, for example. And you know, um, it's maybe a good idea to see where other people are going and do your research, um, because if you go in the, you know. You need to be very careful. If there's nobody else around, especially, and you're thinking of going in somewhere, uh, really make sure you're doing your research because it can be quite dangerous. So I thought we'd next, Matt. We're talking about kind of like how to access the islands and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It kind of makes sense maybe to talk about ownership first yep. of all. Um, so just a quick note: that Calder and Lindsay book that we we're talking about, 
islands of Loch Lomond. Um, it actually gives a breakdown of each island, um, the named islands, I guess, at least, um, including, you know, its, its ownership. Usually it just says private, because, in fact, pretty much all of the islands are privately owned. Yeah. Those ones have a name that are kind of significant enough. Um, all but three of them. Um, those three are uh, Inch Kylock, Buck Inch, and the previously <laughs> mentioned island, which is difficult to pronounce, Cerdic uh, uh, or Kerdic, um, which is next to Buck Inch. Um, those three islands are owned by the National Trust of Scotland. And yeah, I think Inch Kylock sort of the centre, southern part of the loch, and um, Buck Inch and Kerdic. Um, Buck Inch is kind of near, it's just north of Inch Croon. That's right. Northeast, sorry. Northeast of Inch Crew, and then in Cerdic or Cerdic is next to that as well. Um, so, yeah. Um, but, you know, as Scotland, as we've covered in the previous episode, uh, Scotland, we have the right to roam. So, um, you know, you can responsibly access and camp in these islands, whether they're privately owned or not. Um, so, that's that's the good news. Uh, how to get there, Matt? Any quick notes on how to get to these islands? It's pretty difficult, as we've found <laughs> out. It's, uh, there's not really that many readily available services yeah. um, not anymore anyway but yeah so basically make your own way yeah you kind of need to get yourself a wee boat a kayak or if you're a very confident swimmer with a swimsuit and a boy you can maybe swim across to some of the islands that are closer yeah. walking past that walker here yeah and um, we actually seen as we were scrambling to try and inflate our kayak with the wrong accessories uh, today, this morning, we did spot a very um, calm and cool paddle boarder paddling his way to Inchtavanach, to the beautiful uh, beaches there. Um, so you can use that as well. And uh, yeah, I mean, there's actually a funny image that I've put in these notes here um, from the the Mitchell um, Loch Lomond side book that we've often referenced before. Um, where it shows, um, I'm trying to see from what time, I think it, it must have been at least a bit early or mid 20th century. Yeah. Um, but it shows an iced over Loch Lomond and um, a mailman delivering mail by uh, by sled or, or just by hand by walking over the loch towards Inchmurren. Yes. Um, so, yeah, I think. Interestingly, and maybe we'll cover this a bit more in, in different episodes, but the, the lock used to freeze over a lot more than it does now, certainly. Yeah, the last time the lock freezed over, I think it was 2010. Oh, really? Yeah, uh, so I know, like, um, Loch Lomond Shores uh, from Kiran Bay, that was frozen. I don't, I mean, not all of the lock, not quite the yeah. same as previously, but that's the last thing there was any notable. I think it used to be quite frequent because there were there's, there's several accounts of sort of curling matches and well, stuff like that or a, weird, more weirdly a game of shinty which took place on, on ice on the lock between married and single men as we've uh, found in a text doing research for this uh, um, episode it's a bit some strange stories of yeah, sporting very, conquest very strange um, so yeah um, and we're going to kind of cover didn't do a great job of signposting for this episode but we're going to cover um, some different themes here and um, one of them we're going to talk about now is kind of what happens on the islands and that's uh, starting with sort of farming and uh, game, I guess. Um, 
and generally talking about some of the, the wildlife and islands maybe. Yes. Um, but yeah, a little bit about that, Matt. So a lot of the islands were used for farming. This would have been centuries ago, so the farming's since stopped. But uh, Inchmurn, which we've got here, is the largest mainland lake island in Great Britain. Uh, that still has a f operating farm on it uh, to this day. And Inch Kylock has also farmed at one point as well. Yep. Um, but then after the farming, which on Inch Kylock stopped centuries ago, they started uh, planting oak trees. Uh, so then the bark was used from the trees for uh, leather tanning agents right. and then the wood was processed to make some acid. The uh, pyroligneous acid. Yeah, so that was um, taken across to the liquor works in Balmaha, which I think has been now yeah. converted into what's well, like the, the oak tree. All right, the oak tree. So, yeah, so that was caused by a, a change in technical process in the 1920s. So since then, the made the works redundant basically. Yeah, since then, the oak trees have just been left to, to grow. Well, um, I think we do plan to do an episode on sort of industry on the on yes. the lock because that's, I mean, it used to be a very different place as we'll talk about um, a bit later on. We're talking about transport on the lock and how that's changed. But basically, you know, I think you can actually read about that history of, of the sort of um, the leather tanning and stuff like that. Um, at Rower Denon, there's an information board. I remember reading about that around there once. Mm -hmm. um, but it would have been such a different place, you know, busy with like, you know, um, men and women working on uh, uh, processing those uh, th those materials from the forest and then um, processing it further for that industry. And obviously there were works around there as well. And there was a lot of sort of industry going down further towards the, the leaving as well. Yeah, so once you get into the leaving, there was like dye works and things like that. Um, so yeah, as you say, it's been very, very different to what it's like now. Yeah. And uh, scramble for my notes and scramble across. Right, so next, um, kind of talking further about planting trees, uh, insulin egg, which means island of the yew trees, was used to plant yew trees um, for archers' bows. Apparently, that's good material for it. So, um, and it's apparently Robert the Bruce that had commissioned the uh, the yew trees to be planted there. Yeah. Um, I think Robert the Bruce is again, as we'll cover up a, a bit in another episode, um, quite a significant name in this sort of area. Um, Inch Moan is uh, an island which is kind of uh, good to characterise the use of uh, peat, which was sort of um, uh, sourced from these islands for energy uh, in the area. Um, so, Inch Moan, for example, being not too far from Luss was used as a source of energy for people there. And it would have been, you know, especially at certain times of the year, summer and autumn, a really unusually busy sort of industrial sort of group, um, groups being uh, active there, as sort of men would have um, dug into the, uh, the peat beds and women would have probably helped pack the peat and dry it before taking it across to Luss. Um, so yeah, different times, but those are sort of things that were going on. Um, approaching a, another party here. Arms with Hound. 
and uh, would you like to describe the next island mentioned here, Matt? Um, so we've got Insula and Egg in Inchmon. Um, so the Cahoons did this, and so did the Duke of Montrose. Cahoons on Inch Laneg, and the Duke of Montrose on Inchmon. They set up deer parks for deer to be held on the islands, but I don't know whether they already knew this information or it came new to them, but deer can swim, so they did, the and deer would escape pretty frequently. And also don't like to get shot, they can help it, so. Yeah. Yeah, they didn't think that one through. But, um, we also have here Buckinch, the island of the he goats. Uh, it's an interesting one to the northeast of Inchcroon. Um, so there may have been goats roaming about there on the island at one point. Um, well, you may have mentioned here in the notes, Matt, the terrain isn't too great for it. No, and it's quite a small, well, a small island as well. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's kind of it's one of those ones. I don't think anyone actually knows where the, the name comes from. Yeah. Maybe as we'll talk about the names can have very sort of depending on phrases that were act, you know used at the time in Gaelic and um, early Scots or whatever. It was quite hard to determine because a lot of this, these kind of linguistic um, terms of you know terms of phrase are lost, isn't it? Kind of. But yeah. um, there is an interesting story um, about um, an island sort of well, near near Buckinch, near Inchcroon. Um, well, it features that it's about Malcolm Irvin who um, he was um, he, he basically was, was using goats on Inchcroon had them there um, and there's a story that is covered again in that um, um, Calder and Lindsay book let me get that right yep. about a lonely um, billy goat that swims from Inchcroon to um, Inchconachan and scares a group of young swimmers uh, so there's the tale of the lonely billy goat um, but yeah talking about Inchconachan um, this is one of the more kind of famous islands in Loch Lomond and why is that? Um, someone thought it was a sensible idea to bring wallabies onto the island um, an eccentric heiress uh, to the Cahoon dynasty yep. and power boating uh, record holder Lady Aaron what eccentric characters in these stories islands it must be said I think just that island life draws a certain type of person yeah well we were talking about a certain Game of Thrones star who was uh, um, eccentric in his own ways used to enjoy you know when he wasn't fraternising with Hollywood elite drinking in the Glenroy when he came across in a boat from over from the island so yes yeah, there are some eccentric figures but um I've actually got a quite an interesting story here, so I'll, basically, I'll talk first a little bit about the Wallabies, right? So, um, basically, this person in the 1950s, Lady Aaron, um, she used to, I think she had a, a, a penchant for um, hosting exotic animals other than Wallabies, but she did have this colony on Inchconachan, um, and basically they, they sort of thrived, you know, from this point, and I remember going on a wee fishing boat trip, my uncle, is an angling club and stuff in the Vale um, and he took me to the island and right enough there was wallabies everywhere um, and they come right up to you and stuff like that because they've got no predators or anything like that and they just sort of uh, sort of thrived in those yeah. circumstances in the island and I've 
I think they're said to have also swam across to the mainland at some points because oh, really? they can actually swim. Oh, well, yeah. But they just choose not to leave the island because it's so comfortable there. Yeah, although I think the numbers now that are quoted are dwindled. Aye, uh, very low. I think it's quoted as like being as high as 60 not that uh, long ago. No, I think it was, well, it was 60 not that long ago. I think yeah. it was right down to nearly six. Yeah. yeah, six, I think I read in a recent sort of article. Um, and in fact, the Wallabies might be. Uh, you might want to go see them soon because I think they might be gone soon. Yeah, so is it Kirsty Young, the yeah. BBC presenter? BBC presenter, she used to present Desert Island Discs, is also married to the um, so House Empire. Yeah, I'd... He, has a, he has a Billy, a Billy to his name, doesn't he? A, a billion. Uh, ah, yeah. So that's a lot of money for anyone who doesn't know. Um, and they've decided to buy Inchconican. I think, from what it sounds like, or the PR, sounds like they're quite invested in ecological sort of maintenance and progression. And for that reason, they want to remove non-native species. So there is a campaign to relocate the remaining wallabies, um, which some people are against. Uh, yeah, what was it you read? That, uh, removing the wallabies would be... Distressing like, them. Or like removing Nessie. Oh, it'd so, be like remo- the, yeah, the guy said it'd be like removing Nessie from Loch Ness. It's not a very strong argument to make. Not scientific anyway, but also not sure. Maybe there is science behind it, but what the studies suggest that how stressed out the wallabies are going to be getting moved, but um, I suppose it might be, you know, everyone get removed from their home, it's not a nice thing. Um, but yeah, so watch out for that one. Um, yeah, Kirsty Young and her, her husband, they bought that island just last year actually, yeah. in 2021, um, as we record. So, um, I don't know, things are changing fast, possibly. I've got a brilliant story here though, um, again from that same uh, Calder and Lindsay book, um, about a police incident involving wallabies uh, on Loch Lomond side. So it says here, on October 16th, 1962, does that say 62? 82, apologies. Mm. <laughs> the following news item appeared in the Glasgow Herald. Police are investigating a claim by a tanker driver that he collided with a kangaroo about a mile south of Luss on Loch Lomond side. However, while they are sceptical, some people living in the area believe his tale. And while they might believe, uh, for introduced by Lady Arran, wallabies are successfully living wild on Inchconican and it is very possible that one may have made the short journey to the mainland. So, uh, yeah, don't run on over any wallabies. If you can help it, you can help it. So, after uh, wallabies, Matt, um, yes. we're going to talk about castles. 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 Yes. What to say about castles? So the, apparently the first castles built in the loch were kind of around the Picton Scots time, which we talked about yep. on the previous episode. Uh, but apparently King Arthur starved the inhabitants of the islands uh, at one point, which I don't really think's very friendly. Um, and then even less friendly, moving into the kind of 1300s. So the Earl of Lennox had a castle on the mainland, but a war in 1360 caused them to move to a castle which they built on Inchmon, which became Lennox Castle. So there's a story that arises from this. It includes uh, Isabella, Duchess of Albany, who's the daughter of the Earl of Lennox at the time. She was an early resident 
of the island and uh, got caught up in some pretty rough stuff. So James, the uh, first King of Scotland, was being held. I mean, they didn't call him a prisoner, but I think he was pretty much a prisoner uh, to the court in England. During this time, they gave the regency to the Duke of Albany, um, who took oh yes, yeah, so took over, and then his son Murdoch, who was married to Isabella, the Earl of Lennox's daughter, he was meant to succeed in uh, 1420. Yeah. So then in 1425, King James the first came back up from England after being released, and he was quite annoyed at his family. But um, so this was his the Duke of Albany. And the, the son Murdoch, that was his uncle and cousin. Right. So um, James came up, he was rather annoyed that his family had just been basically having a jolly while he was away and they weren't really trying very hard to get him. him out. No, not at all. So his um, his solution to this was to chop their heads off. Yeah. Um, Which is, you know, a well-known um, tenet, you know, if somebody's annoying you, just lop their head off. Yeah, that's the way it goes. So he chopped off Murdoch, Isabella's two sons' heads as well, and then chopped her father's head off, who was the Earl of Lennox. Mm-hmm. So she lost husband, father-in-law, father, and her two sons. They then uh, decided to just steal her from the island. Um, she did have the uh, the garrison was there, but uh, did not have enough men or provisions, so they were quite easily overpowered. She was allowed to return there, and she died in 1460. What does what's that? Um, how does that Twitter meme um, go again? Um, is it find out, get wrecked? What's that? Oh, fuck about find out. Is that what you, is that what I'm referring to? I'd, well, I don't know. Oh, why do we sound a hundred years old? I can't even <laughs> successfully quote a, a famous Twitter meme. But I feel like that is what's happened there. Um, if this was, if Twitter was around then, he, his supporters would be posting that, wouldn't they? would be like, like we guy with a graph, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like uh, a long and then down. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck about and see how much you find it. Yeah. Is that the something like that? Yeah. Like that. Maybe we can um, we can clarify that in the corrections to this episode then. Um, but yeah, an interesting uh, story involving. Um, Inchmurrin and stuff like that, just to show you the kind of importance, central importance of the area um, to that time in medieval era. Um, so, also worth mentioning some other islands that were again quite strong strategic military strongholds, um, especially when we talk about the clans, who we'll talk about a bit more in the next episode, I think. Um, Inch Galbraith, um, thought to be uh, actually an Iron Age built Cranach. Um, off Inch Moan was used by Clamber Galbraith to build a large castle on. And then Inveruglis Isle, and then the hard to pronounce Island of Island Something like Ivo, um, which is nearby. Um, after Cromwell destroyed the first castle on um, Inveruglis Isle, um, in the north end of the, the loch, um, which was used by Clan McFarlane. They built another castle on Island of Vaux. And uh, some interesting stories later on in, in the centuries about that uh, place. Um, so near that Inveruglis uh, viewpoint, which is really good to yeah. visit as well. If you want to kind of see these isles, uh, worth visiting that viewpoint. Kind of like a big fancy pyramid. Good good for the Instagram, I'd say. Um, 
1814, William Wordsworth, the uh, celebrated uh, poet, I believe, uh, um, visited Island of O or, um, when the castle was uh, a ruin, yet it was still an inhabited one, um, as the dungeon of the castle, uh, the ruined castle, was a dwelling for a hermit uh, who lived on the isle, uh, probably an old retainer of Clan McFarlane. Um, who Wordsworth actually wrote a couple of poems about yep. quite admiring terms um, there was also another hermit believe it or not who stayed there uh, apparently during the time of World War II and actually I read a bit more about this guy Matt and it turns out he was a bit of a character I think mm-hmm. well known around the area his, his name was Admiral Sullivan he was <laughs> supposed to be an admiral um, I, I don't know if it's actually contested but he was a fairly sort of a uh, um, interesting figure um, he um, he actually built and, and uh, lived in a bungalow in Inchconican but I think after falling at some hard times he ended up staying I could maybe have got the wrong way around but I think it's true ended up staying uh, on Island of O in the ruined castle again so another hermit lived there um, very fun yeah, and I think because of the suspicion of the time in World War 2 he was actually thought to be a German spy at one point um, but yeah, um, probably not true. Everyone was quite suspicious. I mean, my own grandfather was imprisoned and interned on uh, the Isle of Man um, as, a, as, an, as an Italian who just happened to be in, uh, in Scotland at the time because of Winston Churchill. Not a good guy. Um, so yeah, um, probably just an innocent dude who lived in the islands. But yeah, there you go. He lived in a dungeon in a castle. Quite cool. Um, and... Uh, Next, Matt, we're going to talk about another interesting kind of uh, theme, of historical theme in the islands, which yep. is distilleries. Yes. So there was um, a few islands that were used in the, the 18th and 19th centuries. So the, in the 18th century, Inchconican and Inchmorran had illicit whisky stills on it, with Inchfad also apparently having one on it as well. Um, and during this time, the operations made so much money that the government had to employ a revenue cutter to uh, clamp down on the illicit whiskey trade. So I think, I'm pretty sure, I could be wrong, but I think that that was just like a guy that was going about in a boat, basically. Checking if... Checking out um, cargo getting transported, but... So, also in the 19th century, Inchfad did have an actual legitimate... Government sort of regulated distillery, yeah. Um, And I think it's an interesting history. I think we did a... Ourselves and our pal Harry did a, a, a walking tour of the Speyside whiskey distilleries in the yep. northeast. And these, um, the woman who gave the tours, which I highly recommend, uh, the walking tours there, um, she talked about the history of sort of illicit whiskey distilling and um, distilling, sorry. And um, you know, basically, um, I think especially the way that government generated income from from these sort of uh, trades, they were losing a lot of money to these sort of amateur distillers, yep. right? Um, they were able to kind of avoid most of these sort of uh, um, regulations and they really cut down hard on it and I remember we also visited Tyree and they spoke about how the distilleries on the islands there that used to you know, create a lot of work for people as well and as well as you know, saving a lot of money making their own stuff they were also clamped down on by the, the sort of uh, the elites because um, they were losing money yep <coughs> um, oh I've just pointed you in a direction, Matt, which I don't think is correct, actually. Do we? Well, Matt and I, I should say for context, we're now trying to walk up Winnie Hill, the, um, as we mentioned in a previous episode, Mount Miseries, as it's called historically, 
um, to get a good vantage point of the lock, but I'll look at the notice board here, can we figure out where we're going? Where are we? Oh, that's what I'm trying to work out. So, now that we think we have our bearings, um, back to whiskey chat. So yeah, that, that one you were talking about an inch fad, Matt, that was, um, um, that actually ran a, a government distillery, yep. a, a regulated one. Um, which they built a wee canal for, which we were confused as to why, yeah. there, why there would be a canal to get through a small island. So the, Mc, the McFarlands here we're talking about are quite a prominent clan and later on a family still owning, running a lot of stuff in the, on the loch. Um, but yeah, they, they, when they ran the distillery, they, they built a canal on the island to connect, um, to make it even easier for that distillery on the island to connect to the water. Um, basically, um, I think you can still see it if you paddle out to or whatever or row out to the island from uh, Balmaha, which is nearby. Um, you can check it out, um, and I think you can still see the ruins of the distillery, as far as I'm aware. Apparently, so so we read online. Yeah, um, I was saying how cool it would be to actually <laughs> regurgitate. Uh, regurgitate that's a terrible word. <laughs> um, my vocabulary really reinstate oh, or escapes me sometimes. Reinstate. Um, bring back to life um, a distillery on the Isle of Inchfad that would be very very cool because there's already a wee canal there in the, in the ruined site already but you were saying how that might be expensive expensive and because it's in the national park I think quite difficult to get planning permission for so mm. there's a lot of obstacles I'd imagine you'd need to overcome well I think it would be cool so if you're interested <laughs> in matter. going in with me um, I've not got any money uh, but I'm, uh, I've got lots of energy and I'll give you a lot of moral support so uh, let me know um, so yeah uh, she also said that McFarlane's um, I think they're descendants uh, it says here they, they run the boatyard at Balmaha uh, now as well other owners of, of Inchfad have included the Dukes of Montrose and Charles Collins of publishing dynasty fame. So there you go, a lot of famous owners of the islands, I think, over the years as well. Um, the island was bought in 1944, and here's a really interesting story about more erratic inhabitants. Um, it has covered um, very well in the book previously mentioned, uh, the Calder and uh, Lindsay book. Um, the island of Inchfad was bought in 1944 by an English couple called Davisons, who set about restoring the farm to working condition. So this is another island that was farmed. Um, they brought up by train from um, Whirl, the Whirl, um, uh, livestock um, and, and many other things. And after they succeeded in getting a working farm on the island, they um, sold it and then they set off in a converted fishing vessel. Um, which was uh, wrecked off of Portland Bill, um, which I, f I could be wrong. Let me maybe correct this again later <laughs> at the start of the episode as we after we record. But I think that was me near the island because basically this shipwreck <laughs> from this kind of a zesty adventure um, killed Frank Davison and widowed Anne Davidson, uh, who later wrote an autobiography called "Home Was an Island" about their life on. Inch Fad, as well as Inch Murren, which we'll talk about in a wee second. Um, but yeah, Anne Davison, very interesting figure by all accounts. She, in 1953, then went on to sail the Atlantic single-handed and was the first woman to accomplish this. 
she spent her later life in the US, I'm assuming. Yeah, we were like, did she just get there and then decided it was too much effort to come back? Getting back? She was like, no, nah, I'm not doing that again. So anyway, she, yeah, that'll do. Um, although going on to talk about what I'm saying next, she, she might have just been chased away if she tried to come back because Calder um, and Lindsay described the Davison couple as quote-unquote English white settlers and forerunners of the good life cult, whatever that means, that uh, not as they recounted their attempts to quote-unquote colonise Inchmurrin. I'd love to speak to the some of the, um, maybe the Scott family or some other people from Inchmurrin to get more details on this. Yeah. But, but I mean, by the way, <laughs> the way that these people described, it sounds like they're just kind of like the, the, the settlers in, in America's composh English people who went across... And well, that's not historically accurate. Please don't, please don't take me up on this. But basically, <laughs> is anything we say historically accurate? <laughs> I don't know, but there were definitely a, a, a characteristic of colonialism was definitely some entitled white people going to places where they there were already people and then trying to just pretend that they weren't there and just colonise it. And I think they basically tried to do that in Inchmurrin, from what I understand. Uh, we are literally chased away and went to nearby Inchfad. Um, so anyway, what well, isn't it? Don't colonise, guys. It's not good. Um, <laughs> Only just discovering that one out. So if you thought that was mad, the next section is called Asylums, Detox Centres and Prisons. <laughs> Matt, would you like to take it away? Uh, yeah, so apparently at um, one point of time, uh, Instavanich and Inslanig were used as detox retreats for alcoholics. Yeah, um, so I'd like to mention here that uh, Inchclonig was sold... To the Inch Clinic. Sorry. Cheers, Matt. Um, it, was, it was sold to the Cahoon clan by the Earl of Lennox in the 14th century. Um, the Cahoons, obviously, we spoke about before, a very prominent family, still are. And um, the last kind of on the island being Angus Cahoon in the 1920s. Take a break here as more punters walk past us. So, yeah, talking about Angus Cahoon. In the 1920s, he farmed it and he rode his two daughters daily to school in Luss. Um, good dad, by all accounts. Um, his ancestor, one of his ancestors in the 1830s, was said to have, and I love the wording in here, again from this same book we talked about, was said to have transported and hosted, quote-unquote, persons that were addicted to drinking. Now, I just, um, something kind of like... A bit more sort of fun and jovial about being addicted to drinking, drinking yeah. rather than like being a raving a alcoholic. Time, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Addicted to having a good time, basically. Yeah. And um, well, I'm not going to read down the podcast, but there's some other very questionable, dated language used <laughs> to describe uh, the mental asylums that were on these islands and how they operated. Um, but yes, um, about Inch uh, Inch um, No C. I think I've spelt it wrong in one bit of it. And then there is, so Inchlinig. Inchlinig, thanks Matt. Um, our note making was a bit difficult this week, uh, so Bear apologies for that. But that was that island was claimed by Calder and Lindsay to be the most picturesque in the loch with its high central ridges, valleys, secluded bays and long vistas uh, running through its forest of yew trees. So there you go, this is a nice place, if only we had a kayak to go out there. Um, no, we've got the kayak, we just don't have the... Uh, the clue. <laughs> All the gear, no idea, basically. Um, and also an interesting thing about Inch Lonig. There we go. Uh, the same authors describe stone tools that have been found here that may date to as long as 7,000 years ago uh, in the Neolithic age, which we covered. 
didn't we? So that's really the first sort of settlers in yep. the area. Um, not settlers in the Davison sense, but <laughs> genuine early human inhabitants, is. yeah. So I think that's just a really interesting thing about how old um, the culture of sort of island living, Karanig living was and how, you know, it was practical, you know. Not like these days where it's like a kind of luxury thing that you do on a holiday, but... That's a bathroom. Um, Matt, I'm going to let you pronounce this next place. Uh, Fear Alien, which is um, not Alien, Alien, yeah. uh, which is Gaelic for island. So this is just off of Luss. Uh, it's a small island, meaning Heather Island. So um, it was used as a prison at multiple points in time. Although it might not seem like a bad place to spend your sentence. Yeah. Apparently it can be very, very harsh in the winter. So uh, if you're going to get banged up there, make sure it's in the summer. <laughs> Yeah, and um, interesting tidbit, men also sent their wives there as punishment. So, I mean, to be honest, by how terrible those men sound, it's probably a good thing, to be honest, to be <laughs> trapped in the island away from yep. them. I, um, so, Inchcruen, which I think we've touched on before, um, we'll talk a little bit more about Inchcruen's naming, kind of etymology of it and why this is related to it, but um, Bile was used as a mental asylum in the 19th century. Um, so again, you see the language used to describe it in historical accounts and even well, recent accounts such as that, <laughs> um, Calder and Lindsay book, but uh, as a sort of um, place of isolation uh, for those suffering from insanity, whatever that, whatever that means. So, um, fun fact, Matt. Yes. There is a health practice which mm. exists in the Vale of Leaven Medical Centre, the new modern shiny building. Which has a mental health service, which is called Inchcrewen. Yeah. Uh, that it's can't a, be a coincidence, surely. But then, oh, surely at the same time, like that can't actually be allowed. Somebody's went. There was a mental asylum in 19th century. We're going to name our mental health practice after it. Um, I would love. I would love it if somebody could describe to me the the thinking behind yeah. that because it's just mad hilarious. But yeah. Um, next, we'll talk about Matt. Something we've touched on already as well. Um, uh, steamer culture Yes Steamers And not This isn't just uh, Folk who are addicted To a good time This is actual Paddle boats Actual paddle steamers Don't get them mixed up With your Folk that are addicted To drinking and joviality um, One source Mentioned just at the top We use quite a lot Was uh, PJG Ransom Incredibly difficult yeah, uh, I think it's John Ransom That's Is it? Uh, yeah Don't know where the piece Comes from but We've just uh, aye, um, Yeah, so he um, We've used his book quite a lot He's got a book called Steamers of Loch Lomond <laughs> Brilliantly named Steamers of Loch Lomond um, And that describes uh, The kind of culture And that really Such a Such a prominent part of, of Living in the in Loch Lomond side At that point um, Was these paddle boat steamers um, as, as Ransom describes In 1818 the first paddle boat steamer was introduced in the lock. Um, and only 11 years it was at this point uh, was after the first steamer service in the world was introduced uh, on the Hudson River in New York. So really an early point it was introduced, but it kind of flew off, uh, really catch, caught on, and um, paddle steamers you know, added colourful adventures to the lives of tourists and locals from then until 1981 when the middle lock had our final voyage. So uh, the Middle Walk was also apparently one of the last paddle steamers to be built in Britain as well. Interesting. I think in that book it mentions how 
It's a bit strange actually the way that it was commissioned because yeah. it was a very it's a big boat and we'll talk about it in a second because you can still see it. But um basically um should we take a pew here Matt? Yeah. Looking across this lovely veranda on top of Knocker Hill slash Mount Misery. Um but yeah Ransom describes how the boat was probably too large when it was built. Uh, accommodated far too many people considering the, de- the decreasing demand that was already existing at the time for, for uh, vessels like that. Um, look, I'm just admiring this uh, view after a tough slog of a day, Matt. There's always some kind of reward for it. Yeah. So just up the kind of top of Winnie Hill Woods, we've uh, followed the path and the, the board. We've arrived at the top of this nice wee wooden bench here and a lovely... Sort of panoramic view. I'll take a wee video trying to slowly go landscape. I've been told in the past by loved ones that my video taking is erratic. <laughs> um, and that it gives you it gives gives them vertical to watch my videos because I spin the camera too fast. So I'm trying there to do it gently. Before we talk go on about paddle steamers, Matt. What are we looking at here at the top of this hill? So, looking down onto Inchmurn, you can see across Lot Ben Dune, um, the uh, like kind of worse, and then you can actually see across to Loch Lomond Golf Course, I think. You can probably see it where we tried to put the boat in the water yeah. and failed miserably. Well, I'm going to be seeing that in my nightmares for a while now. But, um, <laughs> this just shows planning's, uh, planning's really essential. Um, as we, as, as, as listeners know, we do very well. Um, so, yeah, going on to talk about paddle steamers. Um, so, you know, it's worth mentioning, based kind of as I touched on, they were an important way for people and goods to get about, not just tourists. Um, and as I was reading through his book, which kind of just charts the whole sort of history of all the ones that are built and operated in the lock and what they did and the, you know, the, the, the luxury dining that happened on some of these boats and just the, the culture for moving cargo about as mm. well and stuff, you know, it, it points to sort of basically experiences that that are being lost, you know, a few decades ago now, and that unless by some miracle, um, we'll probably never get to experience again. And particularly, I'm, I'm talking about particularly looking at one uh, sort of experience that was highlighted, historical experience highlighted in the book, and I've got an image of it here and I'm going to read through it. Um... Basically, it talks about something called uh, the Trossachs Trail. Um, or the Trossachs Tour, sorry. And this is basically something that was it was described as a really unique way to see, sort of, from the West Coast through to the East Coast, um, the sort of Central Highlands, uh, experiencing it all in one day. The lakes, the mountains, the, the, the country, um, the countryside in between. Um, and thanks to the sort of, uh, the journeys facilitated by paddle steamers and uh, on Loch Long on uh, in Loch Lomond um, you, you know they were able to experience so um, it says here the writer had reached the wor- the second stage of the most famous tour of all the Trossachs tour train from Glasgow to Balloch Loch Lomond steamer to Inversnaid so Inversnaid is on the east side, east side up from River Denning yep coach to um, to Stronach Lacker <laughs> Can't can't that wrong there, sure. <laughs> um, a Loch Katrine steamer um, from there to Trossachs Pier and coach to either Callender or Aberfoyle uh, and then a train from there to Edinburgh. I don't think it's possible to get a train from Aberfoyle to Edinburgh now either. No, I, mm, 
I don't know, me and Harry might have had to find out when we were coming down from that weekend and you'd taken your sister's house keys with you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Dropped you off in Aberfoyle. That would have been a tough one to get back, but that, that, that all happened in a single day. You could experience all these things and that would have been a good day out. But yeah, again, not just because of the sort of the loss of the, some of these rail journeys and especially the loss of the paddle steamers. Um, that's something that you just won't be able to do <laughs> nowadays, you know, unless, you know, of course you can take your car out and do these things, but, you know, you're not going to be able to go to one side of a lock and get transported well, to another. That's, getting to Inverness is an absolute nightmare. I think you yeah. need to drive kind of out to, yeah. past Drummond and then up towards Aberfoyle and back down instead of, you know, there's not a direct road from the the south end of the lock up. Um, I mean, when I was reading through that book, that's the kind of impression I was getting that, you know, industrial, uh, deindustrialisation, sorry, uh, you know, in, in the, um, you know, the rise of the motor car and, and as you said to me as well, Matt, the other day, like... Being able to go abroad also... For cheaper, right? But yeah, will have totally changed the... Basically all the things that are fucking the planet up right now is basically means that we're actually losing a lot of experiences that would be, that would be brilliant closer to home. So I think that's something to keep in mind, you know, like sustainable living is actually... Not just essential, but maybe preferable to be honest. But um, although I don't know how economical paddle steamers are. Well, sure, but I mean, I'm sure there's some modern methods are that you, are a bit more sustainable that could be done, channeling the same sort of uh, um, uh, premise. I think we'll end this kind of wee section on talking about the made of the lock. So in the nineties, um, as it was in the point of sort of complete dereliction, the Lock Loman Steamship Company, basically set up by volunteers. Uh, managed to fundraise uh, and uh, save um, the Maid of the Lock, as we spoke about yep. the last last uh, paddle steamer of Loch Lomond. And um, they've been raising funds for, for, for years and years now, and they've been putting on different events. You can visit their website and you can you can do things, uh, see the experience of the, the Maid of the Lock. It's obviously it's um, uh, not moving on the lock. It's not Yeah, active. it's been taken out of the water onto a slipway while they try and do some work to it. And uh, I looked at the website the other day and I think they're looking at around £2.6 million, which is probably not far off what they've already raised, to be honest, over the years. Um, another £2.6 million to bring it back on the water for real. So if you're interested in that kind of stuff, um, you can check their website out. So, Matt, um, next up we're going to talk about, first, the story behind the names, which is pretty interesting, the islands. Yep. And then we're going to finish up by talking a little about legendary islands on the loch. So... First, about the names, Matt, what can we say about them? So the names derive from English, uh, Gaelic, and then the Middle Scots and English word for a Gaelic word, the Gaelic word being in it. So there's a Isle or Island, which covers English, Aileen, which is Island in uh, Gaelic, and then, yeah, the Gaelic word for Island is Innes, and then Inch comes from that, um, the Scots slash Middle English derivative. Yeah, so I mean, from that alone you can see the root of the sort of names of most of the islands, right? Um, and some examples of, of different words that are used, uh, so we have here um, Aber Isle. Oh, Aber. Aber Isle. Oh, so that Aber Isle's uh, kind of off the Aber shore, which is like the southeast basin uh, in the loch. Hmm. So that just basically means uh, island at the mouth of the Endric. Um, then get... Aileen, the, the River Endric, that yeah. is, yeah. Um, Aileen Dug 
Dergannon, which is Purple Island, which was apparently similar to Freak Island, apparently it used to have heather on it, which mm. gave it a kind of purple appearance. And then there's That's the majority... between Balmahan and Riverdale. Yes. And then the majority of the islands on the loch are Inch. So, like, we've talked about Inch Crew and Inch Morn. And Inch Crew, and as I said I would touch on this later, but Crew in itself means round, but it's a bit confusing for some people and uh, historians and analysts because um, it's actually not round, the isle itself, but some think it's related to um, the expression... Here we go again. <laughs> Clanny la Croon. I'm going to say that. That's what it means in Gaelic. That's how it reads, sorry. Which means... He is not sane. Yes. It's a turn of phrase, it means he is not sane. Um, so this might relate to the fact, as we discussed before, that it was used as a mental asylum. Yes. So, yeah, <laughs> I've also put a note here, we've talked about Monkey Island, Matt. Yeah, which is a small um, small island in the river leaving at Balish. If you're looking from the bridge up the leaving, you'll see it. It's just um, in between the boatyard at Sweeney's and the Balish house. Balish house, yeah. And uh, don't say we don't do our research properly, Matt, because I have sourced a Facebook comment by Alistair Owens, and fair enough, it's actually very eloquent, eloquently written. Um, somebody also obviously knows his stuff in the local area, but just I'll try to find stuff basically on you know the name and why it was named that. Um, so <laughs> Alistair says the name of the island in the river leaving at Balak, close to Balak Bridge. Um, in early maps, the island appears simply as Balak Isle, and it's not until the late 19th century that there are any. Um, references to Monkey Island. Uh, there's a, there's no absolute accurate basis for the name, um, which actually I think most historians agree on. But the most popular version is that a retired seaman, make him a captain if you want, lived on a hut uh, in the island and he had brought home a monkey with him from his travels. Hence Monkey Island. Um, nice feel-good kind of story, as Alistair points out. Um, but um, he also mentions that um, a succession of huts in the island existed from the late 19th century onwards, and I think um, what was interesting when I was reading through and looking through the images in the Ransom book, I noticed that these um, sort of boat houses were very popular as well around that area, and yeah. just all the way up Lusts and stuff like that as well. Yeah, I think some of them were used for shelter as, uh, for, as shelter for fishermen. Yeah, and um, in fact, the next possible reference, as Alistair Owens points out, might relate to that, in that these houseboats, which were uh, very common uh, in the 19th and probably early 20th century. So, let's see. Um, monkey is another name for the uppermost part of a ship's bridge and as often resembles the deck cabin of an old wooden sailing ship. Um, so, I say here, actually, um, in fact, John Sweeney has an excellent example of one in his West Bank yard, which he uses an office. Um, I don't know if it does anymore, but uh, yeah, it, seems, yeah. <laughs> it seems most probable that one of these one of the first of these old wooden deck cabins to come to Balak was used as an early hut in the island for a time and the island got its name from that. So there you go, just a little bit of information, uh, good contribution there on, on Facebook, which is not entirely common. Um, from uh, um, I mean that from anyone, so thank you, Alistair Owens, for doing that. Uh, there's also Wallace Isle, Matt. Yeah, so that's up at the north end of the loch. So it apparently was used by William Wallace to take refuge uh, after a rebellion led by him in 1297 so they were fighting against the English where they won a, the Battle of Stirling Bridge Wallace sent the English home and then um, was it Edward the first he returned with a larger army and defeated William Wallace so the following years on from this resulted in a guerrilla war 
by Wallace against the invaders. Uh, apparently Wallace would use the mountains to hide in and he was also reported to have operated in Dumbarton so he could have used the islands to hide from its pursuers. Although the island's not very well sheltered or covered and there is no actual evidence that Wallace used the island so it's probably a load of rubbish. Um, it's more likely the island belonged to someone with the name Wallace. Yeah, always nice to do a bit of um, historical... Uh you know, exercise about historical liberty though. Yeah. Um, another one here, uh, interesting to know, is Inch Kylock. Um So yeah, we touched on that in the last episode. It means the island, island of old women, where uh, St. Kentigerna uh, had a nunnery. And it was also used as a burial ground for McGregor, or Clan McGregor, but the main one was um, McFarlane clans. And do you want to read this out? Because um, you quite enjoyed it. Yeah, uh, sure. Matt sourced this description, but it's incredibly uh, colourful. Talking about the funeral um, of um, the man living in Chicaylock. So no, I think the guy who was being buried was from Drummond, but he was being taken over to Chicaylock. Right. Okay. So yeah, um, this is an 18th century, and the account states that I was invited to attend the funeral of a friend from Drummond in Chicaylock. Uh, the funeral party was composed principally of Highlanders, and from the first to the last, they had on the journey 16 to 20 rounds of the real strong Mountain Dew, called whiskey, which made them so frisky and so inattentive to the solemn business which they had on that they very nearly forgot to bury the body. To be fair, see if I had 16 to 20 whiskies, I don't think I'd be able to bury a body either. I'd forget myself <laughs> at that point. Uh, and I'm definitely, and we should all try and promote the use of the term the real strong Mountain Dew. Um, did you say that these men were ad- addicted to friskiness? Probably. Yeah. Also, do you reckon that was just their homemade? They that wasn't bought basically legally. Poutine, yeah. kind of. Yeah. Um, so yeah, nice, nice wee interesting 18th century funeral story. There sounded a lot more fun than these days. Um, during uh, oh, that's quite interesting. Well, matters what cover this. Yeah. So during World War Two, uh, a Spitfire crashed in, so he couldn't clear the trees. Should have, been the oak trees, I'd imagine. Yeah. Couldn't clear the trees and uh, crashed into the crashed into the island. But somehow the the pilot managed to escape with only a broken leg. Wow. I don't know many folk. Still described, that would still be a pretty shit circumstance <laughs> to be in if you had a broken leg in the middle of Inch Kyle. Yeah, I've, but it probably attracted some attention, a Spitfire falling out of the sky. Yeah, I mean, the trees would probably be on fire as yeah. well. Quite a lot of. Uh, a wee fisherman that helped him out there, probably. Um, so yeah, we also have... Oh yeah, Inchkylik was locally known as Corpse Island. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's because... So apparently... Well, it kind of does. It looks like a, someone lying down mm. uh, against the water in the sky and the kind of contours on the island. Fair enough. Um, and now, Matt, we come on to um, legendary islands. Yes. Um, so the first one we're going to cover is Wee Peter, which is situated just from where we were trying to set off earlier on, so tens of metres from the from the shoreline. So um, the local legends claim that the statue was erected as a memorial for a boy who had drowned, but this is not in fact the case. What had actually happened was there was a man called William Kerr who became a, an orphan and was moved to Luss, grew up there, and then moved to London where he learned the trade as a, a stonemason. So whilst he was down in London he'd built this statue which was to be placed on a building in London but apparently it sat about in his yard for years and then in 1890 it was brought up to Loch Lomond and the reason for this was Mr Kerr says to puzzle and stimulate imaginations of generations of passers-by it does 
Because I remember I've walked past it loads of times and not even known it's, it's just a bit weird. <laughs> yeah, so it's like a very thin statue and then just yeah. a young, like a small boy. In the middle of the water. Yeah. And there was a man, as we were trying and failing to inflate our kayak this morning, uh, there was a man fishing uh, and he was flinging out his bait next to the, the wee statue, so maybe it's a, a, a nice wee spot to catch fish, who knows. Yeah. Um, we also have here, Matt, the Three Wonders. Yeah, so this is where the kind of legendary island comes in. So, again, through Hector... Boise or something. Yeah, uh, Loch Lomond gained a reputation for having Three Wonders. These include fish without fins. Doesn't sound very useful. Nah, waves without wind and floating islands. Uh, I have got his original... Um, <laughs> Not easy to read that. Nah, so we'll just stick with what I've said there. Okay. Um, so, eels and... Like the, some explanations for these three wonders include eels and swimming snakes. Don't tell her pal Dev. Nah, he would not like that. But apparently, Henry Lamond uh, identified them in his Loch Lomond a study of in angling conditions um, as lampreys. Mm. So lampreys are quite similar to eels, but they've got pectoral fins, so they do in fact have fins. They're just talking a load of nonsense. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, this next one, I don't really understand. This is lifted pretty much word for word out of PJG Ransom's book. But um, Lamond also explains the waves without wind. So apparently if it's been a windy day the previous day across a lock in a basin, which parts of the lock are, uh, the wind moves slowly across the water to clear the dead air. Waves are generated by the wind spread coming in across water quicker than the wind. I don't really understand this. As I said, I've just lifted it pretty much straight out. Um, therefore, there are waves while the air is calm. And another, yeah, another explanation could be um, psyches, S-E-I-C-H-E-E-S. Okay. So um, this is to do with the Highland Boundary Fault Line, the um, tides that occur in oscillations in the level of the surface. So I don't know if the the crust moving about has something to do with that. The fault line travels through Loch Lomond, so yes. interesting theory. Uh, and then the final ones, the floating island, it's probably just to do with the rise and fall of water levels. Um, so as the water levels come up, less of the island's shown. As the water levels drop, the islands become bigger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then this could also, another explanation... Returning back to Sedge, which you absolutely love. Oh, wow. So, uh, so apparently it could also be that large clumps of floating sedging grass made their way into the loch. Um, it could be a, a mixture of the two myths of combined. And in the 18th century, a large clump of turf, turf did break from the mainland into the loch. It then went aground and settled just off the southwest corner of Inchconachan. I remember also reading about the islands and the Cranigs as well yeah. including Strathcashel Point the Cranig off of that that we visited for our last episode um, that's actually only visible uh, at times of low water yeah. so um, it would have been common that a lot of Cranigs as well that wouldn't have been visible until um, um, basically the water was at the right level yeah so that must have been you know that we were talking earlier on about changing sea levels yeah. uh, you know changing the uh, level of the water so that's probably yeah, got something yeah. to over time it's actually just became inaccessible as well yeah it's just became lost to legend. Well, Matt, that's a lot of really interesting and rich information that you wouldn't get elsewhere. Did you did you get that kind of information or any of that in your uh, recorded Neil Oliver DVD that used to play in the boats? They've still got it. Um, some of the information, yeah, not quite as in-depth. Not in all depth. of it? Nah. So, so it was not a reliable 
source of information, Neil Oliver, you wouldn't recommend? As I'd, I'd, I'll, I'll not comment on that one. You yeah. can comment if you want, Bob. I feel like it's a bit interesting. We're, it's a bit interesting. We're backtracking to taking a, a neutral stance on Neil Oliver after what has been quite an aggressive uh, anti-NL uh, NO agenda um, in the last few episodes. But maybe we'll release a poll. Um, um, is Neil Oliver trustworthy? Has he got skills? Yes or no? Um, I won't say whether or not Matt is quietly nodding his head in the background here, but um, there you go. That's the episode. Um, a lot to cover there, but hopefully, I mean, I think that's what makes Loch Lomond in general such an interesting place, is that on the islands alone, um, which, uh, you know, some some big, some small, uh, regardless, there are some very interesting stories, whether it be about people addicted to drinking living there, people sending their wives there for no reason, um, getting their heads chopped off for their heads chopped a off. Bit of a planes falling time. out the sky on them. God Almighty, there's a lot going on here. There's, it's hard to process. Actually, I think I need a lie down, uh, not just well, because of the traumas <laughs> of earlier on today. Um, but yeah, um, thanks for thanks for joining us. I hope that you enjoyed it. And uh, Matt, shall we make our way down Mount Misery? Yeah, we'll go down Mount Misery. Okay. Yeah.